One of the things we are starting to see around this broad topic of environmental, social, and governance is a strong tie to kind of procurement leadership and their performance in terms of being embedded within their performance targets. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Welcome to this Hackett Podcast on developing sustainability in procurement. Today, we are lucky to be joined by two senior advisors. First, myself, Kurt Albertson, based in the United States, and then also my associate, Nick Walden from UK slash Europe. Today, the two of us will be providing a unique opportunity to explore the very interesting topic of sustainability, to discuss and share potentially different perspectives and trends based on my experience out of the United States and Nick's experience in Europe and the United Kingdom from advising and working with the different procurement teams that we work with as part of our Hackett relationships. So Nick, thanks for joining. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great, Kurt. Uh, Looking forward to this session. Like yourself, I think it's a really interesting and, and popular topic. So I hope our listeners will also find this valuable. Yeah, it's become a hot topic here in the US with a lot of our clients. Although I know across the pond, certainly something you all are more mature and have been focused on for many years. So interesting to hear your perspectives on some of these topics. Let me kick it off here, Nick, with a a question for you. As I was saying, you know, sustainability has been a popular topic in Europe for a while now compared to the U.S. Could you start us off by sharing how sustainability and procurement is being defined and what you're seeing working with your clients over there? Yeah, thanks, Kurt. I'm really, really happy to. And it's pretty commonplace or clear to think about sustainability in a number of different ways, right? So working with clients, we realize there's a number of, or at least a few different definitions in terms of sustainability being used in the marketplace. But there's a single common thread that runs through the whole topic. And, and that is that it's it's not only referring to, say, environmental or social issues, it's really a collection of, of topics. So one of the definitions, the more modern definitions that, that's being used is E and S and G, right? So this really refers to three different components covering environmental aspects, social aspects, and governance aspects. And of course, when we're thinking about the environment, this is a green topic, can be carbon topic, can be recycling, can be renewables, can even include single-use plastics. When we're thinking about social aspects, this is all about human and labor rights, you know, working conditions within the supply base within our company, um, diversity, diversity within our company and also the supply base. And then also even living conditions, right? So for some FMCG companies and their supply chain, you know, they're really keen to promote aspects like nutrition, clean water and shelter. And then the third aspect in terms of the G within S, E and S and G is governance. So here we're really talking about business ethics. We're talking about employee relationships, gender pay, social enterprise, even small and medium enterprises. And within this, it will include um, some of the more regulated elements like anti-money laundering, anti-bribery and corruption, uh, know your customer and know your supplier requirements. And for some companies, 
social value becomes quite important, right? So they want to be seen to be making a positive contribution to society. And that's especially the case if they're doing business with the government, government-related contracts. A second definition that is commonplace is, is SRI. And, and you and I, Kurt, were talking about this just before this session. And, and SRI is, is really all about socially responsible investing. And by this, we mean third parties looking to, to adopt an investment strategy that supports social green and, and ethical aspects. So this might be important to you if you're a company that needs to access finance or if you're particularly concerned about your share price, right? Because, you know, hedge funds, banks, investment banks, and so on, they use, increasingly use SRI-related strategies to, to guide their investments, right? And a third definition, uh, just to finish it up here, is, is, uh, is CSR, right? This is, this is probably... Uh, one that we're all familiar with, corporate social responsibility. It's actually a concept that first developed way back in the 50s um, and similar to the others, but it really just talks about companies adopting concerns in terms of social and environmental issues. And, and of those three definitions I've just walked through, it's it's pretty much the, the ES and G definition, you know, the environment, social and governance one that's the most modern and newest concept. And that one is really all about companies providing a measurable and, and positive impact. And, and in terms of trends and what I really see, companies just want to be able to understand and define what, what sustainability means for them. Well, that's, that's, so that's interesting, right? You hear all these terms out there, CSR, SRI, ESG, diversity, equality, inclusion, or DEI, you're hearing all these terms out there and, that, and you're hearing a lot more of them, particularly over the last couple of years. And it sounds like from your perspective, and I would tend to agree with you, they're really kind of all being kind of organized or structured under this broader ESG, environmental social governance topic. Is that, is that what you're seeing? That's absolutely what I'm, what I'm seeing. So one of the, the latest, very common trends is, is to see this as like an umbrella topic. Right? So there's a lot in there, a lot to unpack, and companies are really looking to um, get the most value from, from you know, the, the good effort, the, the great activity, the pockets of, um, of energy around this topic and bring it together, one single face, one single interaction to, to suppliers to make sure that uh, they, they drive the greatest level of impact regard, regarding sustainability and procurement in the supply base. So, so yeah, an umbrella concept, certainly developed that way. That's interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I guess that's, that is kind of what I've been seeing here in the U.S. working with our clients as well. And if I think about each, all three of those aspects, right, environmental, social governance, procurement has a role to play in all three of those. So procurement is, is squarely engaged in this ESG topic and uh, look forward to discussing a little bit more kind of some of the roles that they play in supporting this very important enterprise corporate executive. Uh, objective that is getting the attention of the C-suite and the board. So, Kurt, you're based in North Carolina in the U.S. Perhaps you could share some of your experiences in terms of what you're seeing within the North American market in terms of drivers of sustainability and what it means from the North American perspective. Yeah, I would love to, Nick. Thank you. And actually, I've, I've, I've moved to Atlanta, Georgia, actually. I used to live in North Carolina, but can provide a perspective whether I'm in North Carolina or Georgia. So, Certainly a lot of our clients that we work with over here are headquartered in the U.S. And 
And certainly, I think most of the listeners here understand that there are some differences between Europe and the United States when it comes to this topic, right? I'm going to kind of back the, you know, the go back in time to kind of the 2007 timeframe here in the U.S. And I know as we were working with our clients, we were talking a lot about green procurement, corporate social responsibility. What is procurement's role in that? To the extent that we were about to launch uh, a new program here out of the U.S. called uh, Responsible Supply. Well, fast forward a year or two and then the major recession, financial recession hit. And we saw kind of the desire for that program here in the U.S. kind of disappear. Well, momentum has been growing, right? So here in the U.S., things are a bit different. There's a bit less regulation when it comes to this topic of environmental social governance in terms of, for example, how should companies be reporting their efforts uh, around this topic. More of the emphasis and the drivers of this are being driven by stakeholders as opposed to regulatory factors, although that is certainly changing. There's a lot of things going on right now in the U.S. by a number of different organizations that could potentially change that in the future. And, and, And a lot of our clients here that are headquartered in the U.S. are obviously large global companies. So whether they are impacted here, whether they are headquartered here, they're still doing business across the you know other parts of the world. And so, you know, they are impacted by some of those regulatory issues when it comes to this topic. But the primary drivers here for what we're seeing, and we've been seeing kind of the resurgence of this from 2007, particularly over the last three or four years, a lot more emphasis on this topic of corporate social responsibility, green procurement, DEI, diversity, equality, inclusion efforts. We've been seeing quite a bit of resurgence in these topics over the last several years. And here in the States, the main driver is what you kind of hinted at. It's really being driven by stakeholders, stakeholders being either the customers that companies are working with and requirements that they're putting into their contracts uh, and the RFPs that they're sending out. It's being driven by by investors, as you noted. It was interesting. I was reading an article in one of the large uh, periodicals here just a couple of weeks ago, and then identified like a quarter of the cash over the last year that has come into some of the, a lot of the funds has gone into green funds. So that's just amazing to me. So certainly investors are are making this more of a driver for a lot of the companies. The communities that companies are are, are, are situated in they're making this an issue and the employees of companies, you know, those state, that stakeholder group is making an issue of it. So all those different stakeholder forces are really driving, driving this effort today here uh, in the United States. Now, there certainly is some regulatory things that are on the book. The recent change in administration is accelerating some of that. But today it has been more of a stakeholder driven effort that imposes a lot of risks on companies who are not doing the right things here around this topic of ESG. So those are the drivers here in the U.S. Again, you know, it's if, you know, your customers are placing these requirements on you, the communities you're doing business in, your employees, and most importantly, at the board level for a lot of these companies, the investors. And, and as you said before, if you're not doing the right things here, it poses a risk to your organization from a revenue and profitability perspective. 
interesting to hear, uh, Nick, you know, over in Europe and the UK, what has been driving the sustainability and procurement in, you know, that part of the globe? I, I'm going to guess that it's it's kind of more of a combination of factors that, that emphasizes the regulatory aspect of it to a, a higher degree than the U.S., but perhaps I'm wrong. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Kurt. So from, from that uh, UK or European perspective, you know, this, this ESG topic has been big, important and massive for maybe as long as 20 years, if, if not longer. And to give you an example of, of just how important it is from that European perspective, right? We at Hackett every year run our CPO agenda key issue study. And overall, North America and Europe, sustainability in 2021 came out at number nine out of that top 10 list. When I run through that list with European companies, typically sustainability comes up much, much higher, right? Cost savings, where we are in the economy right now is typically number one, but sustainability and related topics typically comes out at number two or number three, right? It's kind of a juggling act with with risk. And from that European perspective, some of the leading companies in this area would be Nestle, Unilever, in terms of FMCG companies. Home goods store like uh, IKEA would be another. Schneider Electric in terms of electrical components. And even someone like Arcelor Mittal, right? And they're a steel manufacturer. So we've got all these large European companies and they've emphasized this area as being really important for, for more than 20 years. We even have... Um, regulation here in Europe covering some of these topics, right? So there are European directives or European laws that actually mandate sustainability information that's reported is just as important as the financial information that's reported, right? So if you're writing a a statutory report, annual report, then the sustainability information that's being presented to support that ESG or that SRI investing agenda is is just just as important, right? But we've been working on it for a long time and and the governance and social aspects have been important for for many years. But if I was to pick one single area that's the absolute hot topic right now, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise when I call out the environmental aspects, right? And and especially this year, it's it's all about carbon. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, you mentioned that, you know, the reporting aspect of it and and similar to how you report your financials here in the U.S., the, the SEC is taking some steps to to kind of move forward with some reporting aspects around this topic as well and trying to drive some standardization around that similar to what you have when it comes to your you know financial accounting reporting as well so that's interesting yeah we are seeing some of that occur here in the u.s as well it remains to be seen whether or not the sec has that authority i believe there are some challenges to that, but but that's the direction they're moving in. And let me share a perspective on, you know, you, you kind of finished there talking about the fact of the importance of, you know, certainly sustainability today. So when you look at those three three components of environmental social governance, the, the environmental component of it. Here in the U.S., it's been interesting, right? So you, you look at the, the events of the last couple of years, certainly when you look at the environmental social governance perspective, it really is, you know, sustainability, you know, environmental that is kind of been gaining tremendous amounts of, 
of momentum ever since it kind of dropped off after the financial crisis back in 2008, 2009, and has been gaining a lot of steam, particularly over the last several years here. So a lot of energy around that. Certainly, though, over the last 20 months or so, with a lot of the calls for social reform and equality, particularly being driven here out of the U.S., the S component when it comes to diversity has become, I would say, on par in terms of its importance here in the United States. And for a lot of our clients, that's also being reflected when it comes to procurement, not only like the rest of the enterprise, what is the the diversity makeup of the function, but the role procurement is playing quite a bit in this area is in this area of supplier diversity, right? You know, when you look at your supply chain and the suppliers you are working with, what percentage of that spend is going to suppliers that are owned by the different diversity groups or different or other types of groups that you, you include in that um, in that scope. But certainly minorities is a big component of that. LGBTQ plus is a, is a big component of that. Disabled veterans is a big component of that, so on and so forth. So uh, women-owned businesses, as an example. So we are seeing here in the U.S., and I've been seeing this for a while, but certainly over the last 20 months here in the U.S., this topic of supplier diversity, which certainly falls into the, the social aspect of this environmental, social, and governance category, becoming even more important. Almost all our clients now are reaching out, asking for help, either set their programs up or to continue to mature their programs And some of those programs are now being taken global. So, Nick, I would love to hear when it comes to this idea of diversity and inclusion under the S component of ESG, how important is that in the UK and Europe? And more specifically, when it comes to supplier diversity, how much are you hearing about that over in the UK and Europe? And and, and what does it mean? Because obviously it might mean something different over there than it does here in the U.S., yeah, that's that's a really good observation, Kurt. And I think it's it's fair to say that across each of the the ESG topics, the topic of diversity and, and inclusion is is likely one of the topics or the areas of ESG that uh, are given lower level of importance. Not that it's not important. For sure, companies are watching what's happening in the US, but I think from a diversity perspective, companies are keen to understand what it means from a European perspective, right? Europe as a region is comprised of a number of different countries, number of different cultures, number of different ways of working, business practices, and so on. That range of countries and and ways of working almost drives um, different levels of acceptance um, of of certain practices, right? So in, in some parts of Europe, you know, the focus from a diversity perspective is more around being able-bodied. Right? Used to be called handicapped, now now able-bodied. Um, and also privacy concerns are, are taken very, very strictly. So some of the information from a diversity perspective, it's actually illegal to ask that. Illegal to ask your employees, illegal to ask that from a supplier perspective. So I think the most common aspect here in terms of diversity is around um, the, the gender aspect and then also the small medium-sized business aspect some clients that i'm working with are starting to raise the topic around lgbt plus and what that means in terms of 
their own company's culture, but more importantly, in terms of the procurement audience, what that means in terms of the supply chain. So I'd see it as a developing topic. We're still looking to explore what that means, right? If you think about certifications and rankings from a diversity perspective, we don't have a, a professional certification requirement that like you do, like I understand you do in, in the US, right? It's more of a self-declaration approach. So diversity, it's different levels of maturity being being defined differently, different, different focus areas. I, I see that as an area many organizations will look to develop over the next few years. Certainly in the UK, right? Perhaps um, ahead of some of the other European countries, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And and kind of looking, we, you know, we just like you all over in the UK and Europe, as part of our global program, you you run our sustainability uh, procurement study that we do because you have, you know, it's been a hotter topic over in the UK and Europe. In the US, we run our supplier diversity study and because obviously it's a hotter topic here. But the last study results that we just published do show that about a third, just over a third of companies do have expanded their programs to include some aspect of their global operations. And to your point, you know, a lot of times it's really around women-owned businesses. LGBTQ plus is a common category as well. And so the definition of those programs does vary, but it is expected to increase. There's another a third of companies that participated in that study that said over the next two to three years, they look to expand their programs globally. So if you look at the data, almost two-thirds of the companies that have these diversity programs are going to have some element of globality to them. So it'll be an interesting topic to kind of follow to see if that actually comes to fruition. One of the topics, Nick, that you brought up were the uh, certif- certifications, right? So specifically, you were talking about supplier diversity and the cert- the you know the certifying bodies out there, like National Minority Supplier Development Council is, is one of them that certify the status of a particular supplier or company as diversity owned and the use of those certifications in the programs to have you know, the, the formal evidence that it is a diverse supplier when it comes to tracking and reporting, particularly here in the U.S. And you're right, that probably is more advanced, but certainly those certifying bodies are starting to form alliances and expand globally as well. On the sustainability side, on the green side of it, I've been personally kind of very interested in this topic. You've got a company, you know, Ecovatus is one of the big ones out there. We're getting a lot of requests from our clients in terms of the certifying of their suppliers or they're being asked to to use a company like Ecovatus or another company similar to them to go through an actual certification process and achieve a level of certification as evidence of their efforts around this ESG or or more specifically sustainability program and progress that they're making. What are you seeing on the environmental front uh, over in Europe and the UK with respect to these these certifications and certifying bodies actually formally assigning ratings to companies and the supply base that you do business with? It's a, a great question to ask. The topic around, you know, and for sure, Ecovatus is, is one of the leaders in the, in the space. And from a, a carbon perspective, someone like CPD might, might be another. You know, Achilles is, is uh, commonly referred to as another vendor that, that captures a lot of this uh, supplier capability, competency type, type information. But um, 
the topic around rankings and so on doesn't necessarily come up that much. For sure, companies that we're working with are interested to measure and report the impact or the contribution that the whole sustainability topic is is making to them. And although sustainability has been an important topic for, for 20 plus years here in, in Europe, we have some, some really very advanced and, and leading companies. That's not always the case with everyone. There's still quite a, a number of companies interested to, to further develop or further expand their program. So for sure, everyone is, is keen to do the absolute minimum that they need to from a regulatory perspective. And then it's also a question, well, how much extra do we need to do on top? And that varies company to company in terms of what we see. Right? So for some companies, it's all about the environmental aspects. Other companies, it's all about the social or the human um, rights aspects, as we've been talking Kurt. But the certification aspect is, it's, you know, for sure, companies get, get asked to complete it and, and, and fill in the results and they can be quite extensive. But it's um, what I tend to hear more about is complaints about the time and effort filling in that information, right? And we did it for this company and now we have to give the same information to that other company. You know, isn't there a single repository where we can get a lot of that information from, right? So I, I don't necessarily hear about the ranking and the formal certifications. It's more about how can we get access to that information and then what do we do with it, right? Because at the moment in terms of Europe, even though we've been looking at this topic for 20 plus years, it's not the case that we're mandating certain levels that must be achieved, right? There's a few exceptions out there, right? Like Porsche, like Unilever. Unilever is an interesting example, right? 60,000 suppliers in their supply base, they said, look, everyone must pay, must pay their employees a living wage, right? Porsche said, everyone must use 100% renewable energies, right? If, if you're making parts or components within, within their automotive vehicles. But for the most part, it is more optional, or we would like to work together to reduce and improve the impact or the contribution that we that we have uh, as a company, as a supply base collectively together. It's important, but a, a slightly different twist on things from what I see, right? Yeah, and you've heard a lot of companies recently come out and, you know, put targets out there about, you know, net, you know, net neutral, you know, they want to be net neutral from an emissions perspective uh, by certain dates, and you, you hear a lot of companies putting those out, right? But, you know, you also see differences with respect to what they're including, right? There's different scopes of, of emissions. There's, we won't get too much into this, but scope one, scope two, and scope three types of emissions. And obviously, more, you know, the, the supply chain is responsible for if you, do you include the supply chain? Are you only looking at the emissions of your, of your operations are you including the emissions of, you know, those that are providing you like electricity, those kind of things to include the broad scope? I think it varies, at least here in the U.S. from what I've been seeing in terms of how those are defined. So, you know, I think there is a desire here in the United States, at least, for some greater clarification. I mean, there's a ton of information companies are putting out there, but there really aren't these kind of standards out there to date to really show them how they should be reporting. But I do think that's going to change here in the in the coming two, three, four years. But when it comes to, uh, you know, one of the questions I want to drive, drive down on and get your perspective on, Nick, and I'll share my perspective working with some of the companies here in the U.S. is we're getting a lot of questions as we think about, you know, sustainable procurement, right? And we think about, you know, a lot of times those efforts are focused internally on, driving efficiencies. So for example, reducing 
electricity usage by change by resourcing light bulbs or something like that. That that's a cost savings, but it's also good for the environment. So we treat you know projects like that as sustainable procurement projects, and they're they're internally focused on how do we reduce kind of the emissions and carbon footprint of, of our operations. But now we start to expand that, and I think this is where a lot of our companies I'm working with here in the U.S. are. To what extent do we formally apply this to our supply chain? And that's kind of the next wave. Do we have them? Do we set targets and actually tell our suppliers they need to, you know, reduce their emissions by X? I'm not seeing a lot of companies do that, and I think that's what you also said is happening in the U- in the UK and in Europe. But you can clarify that if need be. But those are the types of questions we are getting, and when it comes to these certifications. That's going to be interesting to see here. You know, do you require your supply base to go through some type of certification from one of these certifying bodies and achieve a level of, uh, of, of rating? It'll be interesting to see. Today, I think what we have traditionally seen here in the U.S. is that you're asking suppliers to show evidence of their activity and reporting capabilities around their sustainable efforts and you know the 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 programs they have in place but not necessarily asking them to hit certain targets or for certain certifications that seems to be changing on the certification i mean i know that there's been a number of companies that have gone to their suppliers here over the last couple of years and are requiring them to to achieve some type of certification as opposed to just qualitatively showing evidence of what they're doing in this space. Is that similar to what you're seeing in, in Europe and the UK? It is It is similar. It's the exception rather than the rule to sort of mandate achieving targets or science-based targets, right? Uh, although, you know, we've been working on this topic for, for 20 plus years and there's some really advanced companies out there. For the most part, there's still a lot more opportunity available, right? I, I mentioned a couple of examples there of, of Unilever and and Porsche in terms of what they're doing, but it's it's much more of a sort of a a carrot than a stick approach, right? So we are doing things like formalizing our own policy regarding sustainability internally. We're um, formalizing that in terms of a code of conduct. We are sharing and communicating that with suppliers and asking them to formally acknowledge and sign up to that. And then we're asking them to communicate that to their own suppliers' suppliers. Instead of the the focus around certifications, it's much more of a focus on we know we all need to work together to improve, you know, the environmental, the social aspects, to reduce our the impact of our companies on society and, and industry and so on. And it's uh, more of a conversation around how should we engage? How can we work together to share best practice, to uncover opportunities? to kick off projects and programs to drive a meaningful and, and positive impact, right? So rather than, and you, and you mentioned the the targets, right? So one of the topics that comes up quite often is this idea of greenwashing, right? And companies might make commitments like renewable energy, net zero, even being carbon negative, but they're keen to be seen not only to make these statements in terms of um, being greenwashed, but actually being seen to do the right thing and drive a meaningful and measurable impact, right? And so from a procurement perspective, it really comes down to what projects, what initiatives are you going to do, focusing in on the areas of of greatest impact, 
and what that means for for your sustainable procurement program. Right? So so different different perspective versus the North America, perhaps. Yeah, it is interesting. It seems like you all have moved more to a collaboration with your suppliers to to kind of achieve some of these objectives. Where in the in the U.S. North America, it, it seems to still be more a little bit about contractual language, wanting to see the efforts that your suppliers are doing. So interesting. We probably are going to have to wrap up here. I want to share one more comment, and then Nick, uh, I'll ask you to maybe share a final departing comment as well. One of the things we are starting to see around this broad topic of environmental, social, and governance is a strong tie to kind of procurement leadership and their performance in terms of being embedded within their performance targets, but also starting to see that being cascaded down into the category managers requirements when it comes to their overall category strategies, right? So if you think about a category manager and they have long-term objectives they want to achieve with their categories, sustainable procurement, supplier diversity, these types of topics are more and more often being part of that formal long-term category strategy objectives, just like we see cost reduction. And I am seeing that more and more often, and in some cases, even being tied to the incentive packages of category managers around those objectives. Are you seeing any of, and I'll kind of end on that, but are you seeing any of that over in the UK and Europe? And then any final comments to share on this topic? There's definite opportunity to tap into the full value of of levers available to us as as a procurement. You know, right now, 2021, with COVID and, and Delta, you know, there's a lot of focus, a lot of pressure around cost savings, cost reduction. And I'd say sustainability and, and delivering on sustainability commitments, if it's carbon, renewables, energy, et cetera, then that just needs, just needs to be embedded and part of the actions that we take to, to drive the cost savings. There's a lot of opportunity for, for organizations to become more mature, right? Take a longer term planning horizon here, think about more of the broader opportunities available to them. So, Karen, I'd say this is a development area, but if I was to sort of give folks listening to the session one one takeaway, they're thinking about, you know, further developing or extending their program. In terms of the conversations that I'm having with my clients, I like to break it down in terms of thinking about five, five key enablers. So the first one would be define what sustainability is going to mean for your organization. The second one would be you know, with that in mind, think about what your strategy is going to be, how you're going to get after it, and what resources you're going to assign to that. Third action, and this is really the, the, the meat or the bread and butter of, of your program, it's going to be about how you're going to engage with your suppliers in terms of driving impact. Fourth one will be, you know, you're going to need to want to embed, as Kurt was just uh, introducing, embed the sustainability concepts within your processes around sourcing, contracting, managing suppliers, and so on. And the last one, and we've talked about this uh, quite a bit, is around measuring and reporting impact and, and progress. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, Nick. Always good to catch up with you. We don't do enough of this. As always, we are always available to engage in conversations on these topics and uh, share with you our experiences and research uh, that we're putting out in the market. So thank you, everyone, for your time and uh, have a great rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. 
We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this, or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at thehackitgroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackettgroup.com.